Are you ready to go the distance? When you're nearing retirement, it's essential that you have a written plan and know exactly how the plan will work. Life's about choosing where you want to go and mapping out a financial plan to get you there. The one thing you need is a plan. So what's the plan? Plan! I know plan! An experienced financial advisor can help you avoid potential hazards and find alternative routes. We pride ourselves in being different from other financial planning firms. During your initial consultation, we will get to know you and give you the chance to get to know us. Our friendly staff will make you feel comfortable the moment you walk in the door. Call Mark Eels at EFS Wealth Management, 712-224-4651, 712-224-4651, or log on to EFS4U.com, EFS, the number 4U.com. This is Mark from Mark on Money with a special episode today where we're going to talk about what is going on in the financial industry and specifically talk about the rapid demise of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank that has really rattled the markets and caused some flashbacks to 2008. And now, live from the heart of Sioux City, Mark on Money with your host, Mark Gilles. The key is having a plan in place, knowing what you're going to do, a place where your retirement questions are answered. You could be putting tens of thousands in jeopardy. You'll get the latest news on 401ks and retirement planning. It can make a profound difference with what you can and can't afford in retirement. If you've got questions on how to properly structure your assets and build retirement income, you're in the right place. Welcome in to Mark on Money. Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is Mark on Money with Mark Eels. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Mark, of course, certified financial planner. He's an independent fiduciary, better than 30 years helping folks get to and through retirement. And uh, EFS Wealth Management is where you find him. Let me send you to the website. That's EFS, the number four, the letter U dot com. And uh, so, Mark, we were just talking and you know, in your 30 plus years of doing this, you've seen a lot of things. And, you know, the, the, the last week or so has been a little rocky with, you know, you talked about SVB Bank and Signature Bank. And I mean, these are things that ha are on people's minds. What do we need to know? How do we survive this? What, what should we do? Well, first of all, you know, let's talk about the last, you know, number of years of my career. So I've been through Lots of financial crises, you know, some of which you probably remember, some are fresh in your mind, um, like the pandemic crash. Um, but some may not be fresh in your mind, and maybe it's because you weren't an investor or didn't have large amounts of money that you saw lose, and so you weren't really paying a lot of attention to it. Um, the people who are paying attention to this are the people who are in retirement or near retirement, uh, because they have large cash balances usually, and they're depending upon that money and those investments to fund their retirement. And that's specifically what we talk about in this show is that, you know, I always say stuff happens in retirement. You know, the certainty of uncertainty is what you have to plan for in retirement. And this is definitely one of those things that is the uncertainty of what is going to happen in the future. All we can utilize is what has happened in the past um, and, 
you know, as always, we're here for you to hopefully offer some guidance, uh, answer some of the questions that you may have on your mind, and calm your fears as best I can. And, of course, you can always reach out to us with your questions at EFS, the number four, the letter U, dot com, uh, mark at EFS for you, dot com. You can email me or you can call our office. Um, what I want to specifically talk about is what has happened in the past. Right. I don't know if you remember some of those things that happened in the past. but Oh, I believe so. You know, we had, you know, of course you had the 1987 crash. Yep. Which I was just... Not in the industry, but close enough to remember that because it was just a few years after that that I began my financial services career. And that won't happen again um, in the terms of a crash like that because the exchanges have what are called circuit breakers in them. And so when the markets go down or are, are super volatile like that, the exchanges uh, will close um, for a period of time. Um, I believe it's a 15-minute circuit breaker after the first 5% drop, and I believe it is a half an hour after the next drop. And then if it's bad enough, the exchanges just shut down and stop trading for the day um, until the next day again. Um, so that won't happen again like it did in 1987. That doesn't mean stocks can't lose a third of their value because we've seen it. It's just not going to happen in a day like it did back then because of what has been put in place. And so there's been a lot of things that have been put in place over the years that have surprised regulators, have surprised, you know, the Federal Reserve, um, you know, the Congress and so forth to kind of, you know, put curbs in place so that we don't go off into the ditch. There's always those unexpected things that happen. And one of the things that I think has changed uh, that, you know, kind of surprised, I think, everyone was the quickness of uh, SVB Bank um, becoming insolvent. Right. Uh, yeah, and, that happened like overnight, it seemed. Yeah. And it's because of the world we live in, because of electronic communication and the ability to basically transfer balances with a push of a button. And, you know, without really giving any thought to it or actually having any delays to transfer money. You know, if this was 20 years ago, uh, it would have taken quite a bit longer to move those types of funds out of SVB Bank into alternative financial um, entities. Um, but in this case... I mean, there were billions and billions of deposits that disappeared in just a matter of a couple of days, and it was spread over the um, social media uh, to all of these companies that were, you know, basically startup companies that they're, they're, they had the majority of their funds uh, deposited into SVB Bank. And, you know, as a large corporation, yes, they do fall underneath the FDIC auspices of $250,000, but most companies have a lot more than $250,000. And so if you have a billion dollars, you'd have to spread that billion dollars across 40 different financial institutions to, no, 400 different financial institutions, right? Yeah. Yeah, 400. 
I believe, would be the right number. Yes, 400 financial institutions to stay underneath that $250,000. And that's just, uh, that's just not feasible. I mean, you, you, you just, I mean, their payrolls are probably more than, um, you know, $250,000 a week. Yeah, so that just so. that just doesn't that's just not feasible. So you have concentrations like that uh, into individual banks. But, you know, in my career, we had, you know, if you remember, maybe not. Um, we had the Asian contagion um, that happened back in the 90s in the middle of a bull market, uh, which was, um, you know, the financial currency crisis in Asia. Um, we had. You know, long-term capital management, which was a hedge fund that imploded and literally had to be bailed out by the federal government because of systemic risk and counterparty failures that would have occurred had that not been done. Because if they just would have sold off of their assets, uh, it would have been a complete meltdown in the financial services industry. And so usually with time and with wise thinking – these matters can be taken care of. Now, one of the things that caused um, Silicon Valley Bank to become a receiver, go into receivership and be taken over by the FDIC was because of, you know, it's not because they, you know, were bankrupt or broke. It was because of what is called mark-to-market accounting. And if you go back to 2008, 2009 financial crisis, um, and I think we've learned from that period, the mark-to-market accounting is what caused a lot of the downturn and failures of the banking system and the markets to really sell off during that period of time as well, because the market basically froze up, and what mark-to-market accounting says is if you have an asset on your books and you market that asset um, and you have to market to market, in other words, what somebody else will pay for it, well, in that period of time, everybody backed out and says, we're not buying anything. And so effectively that meant that if you used mark-to-market accounting, um, it's like you know going out and you know putting something up for sale in your driveway and nobody will buy it. You know If you put $100 on it but nobody buys it, you know, it's not worth anything. Right, exactly. Um, you but can ask these anything. Assets, but these assets in, in 09 had cash flows. You know, it wasn't like people weren't, you know, they were basically debt instruments um, or other assets that people were paying on. They weren't in default. It had cash flow on it. It's just that they couldn't sell the assets. And so they had to mark those assets to zero. And so what happened was that the... Um, accounting standard board came in and said, hey, we're going to change the rules here, and we are going to allow you to value the assets based upon cash flow, not about what somebody would pay for it, as long as the asset's not in default. Um, and so they changed the accounting standards, basically saying, you know, look, even though you can't sell it, it's still worth something. I mean, if you have a property, you know, a home or a business or something else, there's still value there, even though you know you can't sell it. Nobody's willing to go in and, and buy that asset at that current period of time. They changed that accounting rule on March 20th, I believe, um, or somewhere in that nature of 2009, and the market bottomed within a day or two of them changing that accounting rule. Wow. 
And so things do change at that speed and mark significant bottoms. And in essence, that is what FDIC has done in this instance. Now, I'm not saying the market's going to bottom and going to go up like it did in 2009 from that low. We were coming off a low where the market was down over 50% at that point. Um, but they did something similar in saying that, hey, you know, you have these these mortgages, you have these government securities. Um, they're backed by the full faith of the U.S. government. Um, so there's no default risk on government securities for the banks that are holding them. But because of what happened with the increase in interest rates, these you know, bonds that the banks hold, if they sold them today, they would be worth, you know, in some cases, 15 to 20 percent, maybe even a little bit more, less than what the banks paid for them. And so there would be significant losses uh, that they would have to take in order to sell those. So FDIC said, well, if you need to sell securities for liquidity, we will pay you the full value. We will pay you the par value, what they, were, what they would be worth as if they matured. And in essence, saying that you won't incur losses. Because if you look at a bank's balance sheet, usually what you see is you see liabilities and assets. And the assets are, you know, whatever the bank has, you know, loans, mortgages, government securities, et cetera. And, you know, the, the, the FDIC keeps close watch on that. As long as the assets are worth more than the liabilities, the bank is what is called solvent. Well, if you mark the assets down, and said, well, if you're going to sell the assets today, you know, they're going to be, the bank's going to be insolvent because of the losses associated with their assets. And now FDIC is saying, well, hey, you know, you're going to mark those market, mark those assets not to market, but we're going to mark them to par if you're going to need to sell them. And that is how the banks carry those assets on their balance sheets is they mark them to par value because they intend to hold them to maturity. So it's holding to maturity value, they're not necessarily saying that our assets are worth 20% less because they're marking those assets to what they're going to hold them to maturity at. So if that makes any sense, that's basically what transpired over the weekend, uh, as well as you know the, them setting up um, a special fund like they did in uh, 2008-2009 to basically kind of backstop and provide liquidity to any banks that need to have immediate needs for uh, raising capital to meet withdrawals. And I think for the most part, people, um, I don't know how much people have really paid attention to it. Um, I, you know, have talked to various people, family members, friends, um, and they really aren't even paying attention to what's going on in the financial market. I think the statistics were like one in five people. Oh, no kidding. Uh, as of Sunday, actually even knew uh, what was going on. Now, of course, the media can definitely um, put that out in front, and it becomes a self-fulfilling um, thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, because people watch the news. Now, some people are just watching um college basketball so they're they don't even want to watch the news so that's a good thing which i always tell people don't don't pay attention to the news because it's it's you know it's always what do you call it steve it's always you know in, it's biased <laughs> well yeah it's biased but it's it's um you know hyped it's, up yeah right a lot of times yeah you know, a lot of it a lot of it is hype 
Um, and it's repeated over and over because I mean, it, it increases viewership. So they want eyeballs. Headlines are to attract eyeballs. You call it clickbait. That's exactly what I was going to say, clickbait. And it doesn't matter yep. if it's TV or on the Internet. Right. And sometimes you read the article and it's just like, well, geez, that headline had nothing to do with what even was – even I read. I mean, where did they even come up with the head? Well, they found out that the headline is what attracts people to click on the article. Right. Um, and that's what generates advertising revenue or revenue to the person who wrote the article. So – well, so can I get your opinion on this? I mean, I, I was reading a couple different stories, and, and they were talking about this ESG, environment, social governance, as being a factor in what the SVB, what happened to them. Is, is Where do you fall on that, and, and how does that even fit into the scheme of things? I think that's another biased media point. Oh, do you really? what I think. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you've heard a lot about that, and I and I think that, and what I have seen and what I have read, I think a lot of it of that is sensationalized. Um, I think you know everything that you read has a small sliver of truth in it, right? Mm -hmm. Usually, I mean, sometimes there's no truth, but usually everything you read has a small sliver of truth, but the majority of it is not. So if you look at you know what what the um, actual um, objective is and you look at it in a broad scope instead of just you know piecemealing a soundbite because i think that's what our social media uh, a lot of times tends to do they do that with laws regulations um and everything else and it's like well no that's not the meaning of this you know that was just a soundbite that you took a paragraph out but if you read it in context um that's not at all what is happening here and I don't know, I, I, I can't speak to that for ESG, mm -hmm. um, but I do know that um, we are a capitalistic society and that funds, you know, you can definitely invest in funds that are uh, ESG funds um, that, you know, stand for environment, social, and governance. That's what ESG stands for, mm -hmm. companies looking out for the environment you know, looking out for the social aspect, you know, and having a governance policy that meets, you know, diversity and all those other things. Uh, you can definitely look at companies like that, but the people that invest money are capitalists. So if ESG companies make more money than non-ESG companies, um, they're going to be invested into. If they don't, they're not going to be invested in them. So I would not say necessarily that SVB Bank's um, failure was caused by, you know, ESG philosophy. I would say it was caused by the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank coming out into the media and saying, hey, we have a capital shortfall and we're going to raise capital and it's not going to be a big issue. That's what happened. And okay. people were like, wait a minute. What happens if they can't raise shortfall and then all of their advisors, basically uh, their accounting firms, told the startup companies, get your money out of SVB Bank because in the slim chance that this doesn't happen or move it to a more secure bank and then everybody did it and you had a run on the bank and the capital could not be raised because – of the CEO coming out publicly and saying that. Now, if he would have done it privately and done it after the fact and said, you know, we had a shortfall, but we've already raised the capital, there's no issues, 
I think we would have been looking at a totally different story. Yeah, but he sure. put the cart before the horse is what I think. Sure. Well, he was I'm what, trying to be uh, transparent, which is good. But I mean, at the same time, you got to you got to think of the bigger picture than that. Right. And so, you know, you have to understand in the banking industry, you know, even the healthiest banks do not have enough cash on hand to repay all the customers if they demand their deposits. You know, and so bank runs are insidious because they can become self-fulfilling, fueled, fueled by fear, people taking out their bank deposit. And as the word gets out, fear turns into full-blown panic, as we saw, and the remaining depositors rush to do the same thing before they're too late and the bank can't meet their demands and then they have to close their doors. But what's happened in this case is FDIC came in and there's a provision in FDIC that's called a systemic risk exception which allows the FDIC to use the deposit insurance fund to, to, to ensure that those with even more than $250,000 don't lose any of their deposits. In fact, uninsured deposits have been paid out in full in every bank failure going back decades with the lone exception of IndyMac in 2008. Yes, you mentioned earlier, yeah. Right. Hmm. And so... Um, so what happened on Sunday was they did exactly that, and they said um, that, you know, we are going to take over this bank, we are going to guarantee all the deposits, and we're going to guarantee the deposits of any other bank failures already that happened because of this, because it's a systemic risk exception. And so that's what we're looking at. And so you see the market kind of um, settled down a little bit. You know, we had a day on Monday that um, – um, you know, was, in my opinion, just kind of a normal trading day with the exception of some of the regional banks, you know, got sold off pretty good. Um, but, you know, we had CPI report that came out today. So CPI came in in line with expectations. Uh, that was the report that was done this morning. And also uh, what really was the key is if you strip out the, uh, strip out the key component, which was housing um, and rent and those types of things, you know, the month-over-month -month increase was at 0.2%. So we are trending in the right direction. Now, we'll see once what happens with the Federal Reserve next week if they do go ahead and raise interest rates. But for most people, the half a point potential interest rate increase that most people did expect probably to happen next week is completely off the table. And, and, and even Goldman Sachs came out this week and says, we don't think the Fed's going to raise interest rates at all next week. They, they think that they're going to come out and they're going to say, we're going to leave rates where they are and see once what happens. Wow. That's, so, I mean, that, what, I, this is an interesting sort of thing to watch unfold, isn't it? Right. And, and so, you know, the S&P is up year to date. You know, as I'm sitting here right now watching at the at, uh, watching the markets open, you know, the S&P has pierced through the re a resistance level that was there, um, and that's a positive thing. When you look at the technical charts, that's exactly what we wanted to see, that, you know, with a potential catalyst and a resistance level that was right at about 3,900 on the S&P, uh, with the potential if that was not taken out, uh, that we would see lower levels, according to um, chart analysts and those types of things. You know, nobody knows, you know, how the markets are going to play out other than there, I think you're going to continue to see some volatility because, you know, uncertainty is what creates volatility in the markets. 
But if we go back and we look at, you know, all of the things we talked about, you know, long-term capital management, the dot-com crash, um, you know, people are relating this back to the dot-com crash. You know, you have to understand that the NASDAQ index in 2001 was trading at 100 times price to earnings. Right now, the NASDAQ is trading in the mid-20s for price to earning ratios. And yes, the NASDAQ lost 80% plus of its value in the dot-com crash um, because mainly those companies were not generating profits. And the makeup of the NASDAQ index, which is the tech companies, which is Silicon Valley Bank's main um, banking, or was their main main uh, customers, is a little bit different makeup than what it was back you know, 20 years ago in 2001, 2002. Um, and then we, of course, you know, going through history, we had, you know, big sell-offs in, in, you know, we had the, uh, what did we have in 2011? We had the flash crash, uh, which was kind of interesting, and nobody even really knows even what happened even today with the flash crash. Um, but we've had various instances like that, and, of course, the pandemic crash. We all know what happened then, and the market ended up the year um, up. So I think we're, I think the markets are, for the most part, resilient. But when it comes to your money, and here's here's the main point that I want to bring out here, Steve, mm-hmm. is you know out of all these years, you know the main thing is to understand why you have your money invested where it is, what the purpose of your money is, and that purpose aligns with your goals. And one of the things that we utilize at our firm is we utilize time segmented distribution strategies which means that if you're following the correct time distribution strategy you've got five to ten years of your money that is setting in non-volatile fixed investments it's either in fixed annuities that are currently being paid out it's in laddered bonds it's in cash but it's in investments that did not see the precipitous decline and don't and don't react to the markets and don't have the kind of volatility that you see and what that relates to then is you know a you know you have your investments aligned for the purpose of it is and you can make rational decisions in times of crisis because it causes you not to have to panic you know if you have all your money invested in the stock market and you're you know, don't really know why, what it's for or when you're going to spend it or how much you're going to need in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um, yeah, that's a, that creates a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety. So I think having a, a retirement plan distribution strategy, and that goes for people that are five to 10 years away from retirement as well, is you really need to be looking at how to set up your funds for retirement now, not waiting until the month before you retire. Um, because that just depends on luck, depends on luck of where the markets are, because you can't wait until you're retired to start distributing your money into a plan that's going to spread that money out in different risk areas uh, from safe money to longer term money. And that's what really time segmented distribution does. Uh, and that's that's something that, you know, we are adept at um, at our firm. You can look and find more information on that on our website at EFS, the number four, the letter U.com. Um, we do work with people um, 
from around the country. We're licensed in dozens of individual states. We have clients all over the United States. Uh, and with the advent of Zoom and all these other things, we can work with you no matter where you are. And, you know, so it's a good strategy to have, in my opinion. And, again, if you have questions, um, you want to visit, you can call our office. Um, you can send me an email via our website. You can schedule an appointment, uh, and we can talk about it. And, again, I think that, you know, the main point is is that these types of events definitely cause volatile markets, and we should expect to see that. However, it should not cause long-term investors to panic or lose sight of their goals. And like I said, I've been doing this for over 30 years. These type of events happen. Markets are quick to incorporate them and move on. So, as always, we're here for you. Um, thank you for listening today on this special episode to uh, hopefully offer some guidance, uh, answer some questions of what's going down, and, and hopefully helping to calm some fears that you may have. Yeah, I think you've done a great job, Mark. I appreciate your insight as always. And, and folks, don't, don't hesitate to reach out to Mark and his team. They can help you out and help you calm those, uh, those fears, right? Absolutely. Have a great rest of your week weekend and we are looking forward to spring yes we are in the midwest and we have quite a bit of snow left on the ground where i am the temperatures are going up it's looking up Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. EFS Group and the Securities America companies are unaffiliated. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. If you remember these TV shows, you're getting ready to retire. Whenever I see a big pair of feet or a cheesy mustache, I'll think of you. You got spunk. I hate spunk. I'm one guy who ain't prejudiced against anybody who uh, may be less superior than me. It kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Oh, gee. You deserve a secure, independent retirement. A retirement that is prepared to handle pitfalls like inflation, health emergencies, stock market volatility, and taxation. You've worked hard for your money and will work just as hard to protect it and grow it. Retirement planning doesn't have to be difficult. Get the facts-based approach that you deserve, all at no cost, with no obligation. Call Mark Eels at EFS Wealth Management, 712-224-4651. 712-224-4651 or log on to EFS4U.com. EFS, the number 4U.com.